0: Simply Stogies is a passion project that is fan funded. If you enjoy the content Simply Stogies brings to you and would like to see more and different kinds of content, a website, more on location podcasts with blenders, manufacturers or retailers or video reviews, please consider supporting Simply Stogies on Patreon at patreon.com slash simply stogies. Supporting Simply Stogies can get you a ton of perks, including instant access to bonus material, access to Simply Stogies Discord, including a Patreon-only channel, shoutouts on the show and social media, a monthly virtual herf with myself and other supporters, the ability to suggest cigar reviews, cool swag, or the opportunity to do a cigar review on Simply Stogies Podcast. Thank you. For your consideration and your generosity. Now, on to Simply Stogies. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a Stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. Today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, joining us, uh, we have the owner of Foundation Cigars uh, and Master Blender, although he hates that term, uh, Nick Malillo. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on and answer all of these questions.
1: Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here.
0: My first question is, what are you smoking today? What am I smoking? I'm smoking. At, I'm at the
1: Owl Shop in New Haven, Connecticut. This is one of the oldest cigar shops in Connecticut. Um Family's been coming here for a long time. I was born not too far from this shop, so they had their 85th anniversary uh, recently in September. So I splendid them a special special cigar, and I, I don't do um, a lot of cigars, you know, for private uh, you know shops and whatnot, just because I'm I've been so busy these past four years. But um, this shop is definitely dear to my heart. So um, it has a Habano, Habano seed, the 142 seed wrapper uh, that I use on the Tabernacle uh, 142 Habano seed that's grown here in Connecticut. And uh, the blend is a little bit different blend of um, Esteli uh, and Jalapa. So it's, a, it's different than the Tabernacle blend. I tweaked it a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was
0: appropriate to smoke one of these. And it's only available at the Owl Shop.
1: Right now, only for the Owl Shop. I made them 100 boxes. Um, So, yeah, I know they do, uh, if you call them up, they'll probably send you some sticks. Um, Or if you're in New Haven, Connecticut, stop by. It's a great place, you know, right on the Yale uh, Yale University campus right here in New Haven. So, um, yeah, old school place. It's more of a bar scene. It's actually the only place you can drink and smoke uh, in Connecticut. They were grandfathered in. And uh,
0: cheers! What What are you drinking, Nick? I got to know.
1: This is Jefferson's Ocean uh, that they do, especially for the Owl. Owl Shop has one of the largest bourbon and scotch selections in the state, too. Uh, so they have a couple of special, special uh, scotch and bourbons that they make for the Owl Shop, also. So definitely a cool place to to come check out. I'm really promoting New Haven right. Now. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah this is this is you know it's it's definitely appropriate because this is where the journey started for me in the cigar world so
0: well, let's talk about your journey for just a second because that's what this podcast is really all about It's my journey through the world of cigars. How did your journey start? how did you first uh get introduced to cigars so uh, all
1: of my grandfathers smoked cigars, so my great grandfather's I remember my great grandfather on my mother's side um when I was little. And my grandfather on my mother's side, avid pipe smoker and cigar smoker. And then my father on my dad's side always always smoked Connecticut Broadleaf, Extra Oscuro. The brand he smoked was Topstone a lot, which is no longer um, around, unfortunately. Um, he smoked Topper, which is still around. Chris Topper is still around um, from Connecticut. He makes some, he makes some good smokes. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, we grew up around just the aroma and the association of, you know, this amazing aroma and, you know, time with my grandfather. You know, we really just started, uh, you know, smoking cigars with my grandfather at Christmas time, Um, you know, holiday times, he, my brother, and um, by 18, I was just you know, I I had started discovering the world at 18 and my father had taken us on a trip to Italy some years before that. And it just really, you know, opened my eyes to travel. And I just fell in, you know, I just knew back then that I wanted to travel and just to, you know, learn about the world. So, um, catch me if I'm going off on tangents, but, um, yeah, 18, I just dove into uh, the history of cigars to back everything I could get my hands on about cigars and the culture of cigar smoking. So, you know, the indigenous history, just the ritual of it. Um,
0: so it's very personal for you. This journey is extremely personal for you. Totally, man. You know,
1: just having a cigar with your grandfather when you're 18 and, you know, learning about World War II in Okinawa. And unfortunately my, my dad's father passed away when I, you know, I was a sophomore in high school and I didn't get to, to really, he never saw this journey, you know? Yeah. I was 15 when he passed. Um, So I just remember him taking me and my brother when we were little in his, his silver uh, it was actually, I think a Cordova. He was driving the silver. It was a tank. It was awesome. And he would take us to Mr. Steak, which was a steak restaurant in town and they had cigars, Connecticut cigars. Connecticut cigars were everywhere here in Connecticut up until the end of the nineties. So, you know, everybody knew about Connecticut cigars. It was one of the, you know, jewels of Connecticut. So I remember him taking us there and I don't talk about it too much because of all this FDA nonsense, but you know, he would buy us the bubblegum cigars at the counter and then, he'd get his Connecticut cigars and we'd walk out of there feeling like a million bucks,
0: you know, that's, that's awesome.
1: He didn't let us smoke of course, but you know, when you're 18, um, my parents and was doing well in school. I wasn't whiling out. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. So, you know, my, my father got me a diamond crown humidor for my high school graduation. And, um, yeah, man, we, I was smoking. I became a high school graduation. We were smoking. I, I remember walking down. I tell this story sometimes I, I got my buddies all cigars. They were Puros Indios number two torpedoes in 1996 was one of the, it was an unbelievable cigar. We're walking outside and cigars all excited. We just graduated. The vice principal comes out of nowhere, grabs the cigars out of my friend's mouths, throw them on the ground. And I dodged her like the Matrix. Remember Neo in the Matrix? <laughs> I moved. I, moved at, I said, you're not touching this cigar. This is a $15 cigar. It, and then my dad saw everything going down. And he came up and sort of intervened and said, listen, you know, kids are drinking. Everybody's doing drugs. Like, Focus on something uh, a little bit more dangerous.
0: Right. So you remember that cigar? You remember the cigar you bought your buddies for graduation? Do you remember your very first cigar? The very first cigar you ever smoked that you ever tasted, and you went, "Wow, I like this."
1: So the very first cigar I was smoking was a Connecticut cigar. Okay, Connecticut broadleaf. It was a Topstone because that was what my my grandfather's you know smoked. And then in '96, it was Excalibur number three. And Macanudo Hyde Park had just come out. Macanudo was being made in Kingston, Jamaica, um, at a factory called the Cifuentes Factory. No cellophane, Connecticut shade from Connecticut, the Valley, San Andreas binder, and then they used a blend of Dominican, uh, Nicaraguan, and Honduran. They said, cigar was unbelievable. The cigar, you know, guys nowadays. I haven't smoked them in a while, so I can't. I can't speak to that right now, but man, that cigar, man, it was so, it was creamy. It was flavorful. Then the Excaliburs, and then we started getting into Opus X number two Torpedoes.
0: So this was? 96. 96. So this was 96. So in 96, I've read that you worked in a retail smoke shop after you graduated from college. How did that? This is,
1: no, this is high school. I worked for a shop called the Calabash Shop. The Calabash okay. Shop was another store that was ten miles north, uh, about ten miles north of where I am right now, in Hamden, Connecticut. It was started by um, two families in the seventies. One of the one of the families was a roofer, Fred Russo. The other one was a school teacher, Pat Villardi. They started the shop during the eighties it was kind of rough the cigar market. So at the end of the eighties, they were working both jobs and their wives were helping take care and run the store. And, you know, they're trying to make, make ends meet and develop a business. And, uh, they were ready to get rid of it. And the wives said, we'll take it. We'll take it over. So I, Carol Velarde and Mary Russo Russo God rest her soul started, to. Uh, you know, taking over the store full time. And then the cigar boom hit in the early nineties. So my brother and I used to go in there every Friday, you know, for the weekends to get some cigars and there was lines out the humidor. I mean, it was, this is the height of the cigar boom. I mean, the cigar, it was crazy, man. You know what I mean? It shifted. And people know cigar aficionado, you know, emerged and the image of cigar smoking, from it being like just your grandfather, you know, older person, you know, that's who smoked cigars. It now became something interesting, you know, something, Oh, this is cool. This is chic. This is hip. Cigar bars start opening up, you know, the awareness of cigar and the image of cigar smoking really kind of changed and it started a boom. And, you know, I was 18 when this was all going down and You know, I remember going up to the cash register that weekend and, you know, they were struggling. It was just the two of them behind the counter and they were struggling to keep up with everything. And I got up to the counter after waiting in the line for a long time. And I wrote down my number and said, listen, I know about every cigar in that humidor. I know all the blends. I know all the prices. If you need help, here's my number. I would love to work for you guys. That was June, 1996. I just graduated high school. I was going to start college in August and I didn't hear anything for two months. So yeah. So, um, I didn't hear, I ended up working grounds crew at Quinnipiac where I was, is the college I was going to attend in, in August. And I was working the grounds crew and I was like, man, all summer. It was just, you know, I didn't hear from them, didn't hear from them. A week before classes is about to start, August 96, I got the call. I didn't hurt that they realized that my grandfather, who my <laughs> grandfather was, that we was buying pipe tobacco there, you know, forever. And um, they hired me, and they put me immediately put me in charge of the humidor. Wow. They said, you're in charge of the humidor. They gave me two huge garbage bags filled with cigars, because they had just gotten back from the industry trade show and there was hundreds of brands we call them don nobodies i mean at the height of the boom it had gotten so crazy the prices have gotten out of control the prices in all the tobacco had gotten ridiculous because people were coming in and were paying you know crazy prices just to you know, put some bands around and sell cigars. The tobacco was not fermented properly. It was a disaster um, in many aspects. But out of that boom grew a lot more, you know, business. But that's, I started in the midst of that. And I remember going through, I was now in charge of, you know, unfortunate job of smoking these cigars. I had a little (laughs) card catalog. I made my own filing system to keep track of, you know, what, what we wanted to bring into the shop, what was, you know, newer, what was, um, and it was amazing the amount of, um, you know, just terrible stuff.
0: Yeah. So that was kind of where it started. So what did you like in your time in retail, like, how long did you work there? Like, was it a couple years? So,
1: so it was no, so 96, I started when I wasn't in class. Um, I was at the shop. So I started studying international business. So four years. Four years, I wasn't in the shop. Saturdays, I was running the store. And whenever I wasn't in class, I was running. I was in the humidor.
0: So what did you learn in your time in retail, on the retail side of it? Because obviously, you're on the other side of it now. You're on the, the, the factory, the industry, like insider side. What did you learn? What did you take away from that experience in retail? That everybody likes something different and that it's so subjective what you know,
1: to a certain degree. Right. And we're talking in general, general terms, but learning, you know, I knew what I liked and I knew what flavor profiles I really loved, but then it was, you know, I, I they were, um, very open with me trying and knowing what we were selling. And, um, so they let me, you know, try so many different cigars and then just learning from, from guys coming in, what they liked, and what they didn't like and understanding the products that in blends in the humidor and really pairing those up with the right, it totally determines, you know, especially if somebody's newer to cigar smoking, what you, you know, the experience that they have, you know, you're not going to go give wild Turkey to somebody that's never had a drink before and expect that they're going to, you know, like it. Absolutely. If you can adjust that and get them onto, you know, something that is going to be, you know, easier on the palate, um, you know, and again, you could be prone to tasting things different than I taste things. You might taste broccoli different than I taste things. So,
0: Well, that, that I, that's a great segue, I guess, into because it is so subjective. Like, I don't disagree that taste is subjective to a point is there anything that's static across the board? So if it's not, when it, when it comes to taste, when it comes to developing your palate, is there anything that's objective uh, flavor wise, or is it all, is it all subjective and it's all based on experience? Yeah. You know, and that's what I was talking in general terms, right? Like not
1: to jump around, but you know, tobacco all the time. I never say one tobacco is better than, you know, Broadleaf is not better than Nicaraguan. Everything has their own characteristics, right? What makes the tobacco better or worse is the farming practices, the sorting, the selection, the quality controls, you know. Given all of those terms, you know, then it becomes more subjective. So with the cigar smoking, as long as the construction's there, you're dealing with well-aged tobacco. um, I look for extremes, right? I don't want something... In the end of the day, does it jade the palate? You know, so is it too harsh? Is it too, too much here? Is it too bitter? Is it too dry on the palate? So I don't know if that answers your question. Oh,
0: it does, for sure. H- how did you develop your palate? I'll tell you, man.
1: I'll give you the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not secrets, but retrohaling hailing definitely, um, you know, took – took it to another degree of um flavor right because you're dealing with the coin and the two sides of this coin so your olfactory here you know you're dealing with millions of receptors and your palate you're dealing with four to six thousand flavor receptors on your palate right taste buds within that you're registering the five major flavors what is it sweet salty Bitter, sour, savory, everything else—chocolate, vanilla—you know a lot of all of that is coming from the olfactory, right? Even if you're smoking here, you're still going to get it because without the—if you lost your ability to smell, I mean, your ability to taste would be diminished significantly. I'm not a doctor, but this is this is my, this is my <laughs> take. Um, so the the retrohaling, you know, I would really. I'm really 75% is in my, you know, in my palate. And then I came to a point where it was, wasn't aggressive. It's, you know, if you're not used to it and accustomed to retrohaling, it's going to be way too, too much. And that developed over time and doing it subtly and, you know, taking a journey of, you know, learning it. So when I do retrohale too, it's, Oh, you'll, you always see, if you see me smoking the last quarter will be, really slow you know it's not coming out and you know i i I can really begin to pick up more of the nuances um and it's the same way reviewing tobacco um you know you see it with the psalms and the baristas and you know this ability to smell is is um definitely helped a lot and yeah and so and i remember the first time i went to honduras I would, you know, retro was just something that I did and I became accustomed to. And I remember being in a tobacco barn in Honduras in like, Oh two. And with a group of people um, at that time, we went down, you know, some of the first kind of cigar tours with uh, uh, Christian and the Aroa family from Camacho at the time. And I remember the old man having us all in the barn and he said, who, who retro hails? As somebody translating for him, and I was the only one to raise a hand, and he said in front of the whole group, if you've never retro before, you've never smoked a cigar before. And that was like, that forever resonated as I eventually went to Nicaragua and started to learn, you know, the leaf from the other side.
0: So when you're blending, when you're... Uh, making a cigar and you are trying to nail down a certain flavor, like what's your approach to it? How do you, how do you approach it? You know, that's a good question. Usually it's around, you know, certain tobaccos, you know what I mean?
1: Um, You know, with broadleaf I'm really going for that depth, complexity, the richness. Um, And, you know, I love to be able to get flavor body strength without it jading the palate, without it being overwhelming on the palate. Um, So I, I kind of try to keep that throughout, you know, the portfolio of blends that I'm releasing. They're just maybe at different strengths and bodies, you know, but I'm still always trying to get that as much flavor. And that comes from, you know, being able to have access, you know, to amazing tobacco, you know, and that's really where it, I've been fortunate to be able to build up amazing relationships, um, with, you know, amazing growers and suppliers and, and now manufacturers, um, to be able to source, you know, the really, the really good the really good stuff. The tasty <laughs> stuff.
0: The tasty stuff. So one world, our, our, our leader and, and, and one of the founders asks, uh, if you had to choose between Connecticut and Nicaraguan tobacco, which one would you opt for and why?
1: Let me tell you, you can't, the combination of both of those tobacco makes an amazing, an amazing experience. I don't know if I could choose, man.
0: That's the most diplomatic answer I think I've ever heard.
1: I'm too diplomatic. I'm trying not to give you totally. I'm going to take my shirt, my jacket off for this question.
0: He's really got to think about this one He's getting serious This is a good question, uh, One World Listen,
1: Connecticut, you're not going to get that strength Nicaragua has become Nicaragua Because you have the most active volcanoes in Central America Since the 90s and things got better politically And the farming practices And the, the tobacco and the plant is so diverse From the lower primings to the upper primings right? So, you know, you have your Seiko on the bottom, that's your mildest. You have your Viso in the middle, that's your medium. You have your Ligero at the top, this is your, your stronger tobacco. The, the reason why Nicaragua has become so popular is because the diversity and strength between those secos to Ligeros is incredible. I mean, so I mean, in the sense, if you go to the Dominican or even like Cuba, their Ligero is going to be our viso, as far as strength, fortaleza, you know the complexity, you know Jamaica, the plant is mild from top to bottom you're not getting that so the the blends that you can make out of the Nicaraguan tobacco for filler tobaccos now there's a lot of wrapper experiments going on more and more, um, but for filler tobaccos that's why it's become so amazing that's why sixteen out of the top twenty five you know, of cigar aficionado this year is Nicaraguan, Connecticut broadleaf. You have, it's a whole different soil, you know, it's a, it's a whole different seed variety. It's, um, you know, it's got amazing sweetness. It smells like nougat, you know, when it's getting and it's in the curing, it's got some strength in body. Um, but it's tough. You know, you make a Puro out of just Connecticut broadleaf. You're not going to get personally more of that strength that you get from the, the fillers from Nicaragua and from the Nicaraguan side, if I had to choose, I'd go, uh, I have to go Nika on this one. I have to go Nika.
0: There you go. Is that, is that why you chose, uh, Nicaraguan, uh, over, Say like uh, Dominican or Honduran?
1: Nicaraguan tobacco man, and the combo with that Connecticut broadleaf. I mean that, you know, yeah. I mean Nicaragua is, it's just it's incredible tobacco. Again, that's, it's a tough question to answer. It's like asking which brand, you know, blend that I make is the best. Each one is so that questions later, and tells uh, its own story. You know, and so that's why it's difficult to answer, you know, for me, because I always say again, every tobacco from every different country that's in the market, that's a, you know, top end tobaccos, they all bring a different characteristic. So it's not, it's not necessarily that one is necessarily better or worse than the other, that all depends on the quality and who's growing the crop, who's fermenting the crop, how that crops being selected and sorted. That's what determines whether it's better or worse um, a lot of
0: times. Gotcha. If you don't mind, I just, I want to touch briefly on your time at at Drew Estate, just briefly, I promise, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of interviews out there with you that people can go, go and read, but like, what did you take away from Drew Estate? Like, what was the one thing in your time at Drew Estate that you took away that you would say has helped you more than anything else? These questions are fantastic. Fantastic. The I don't know thing. if that's a compliment or not. No, that's a compliment,
1: man. You actually, I mean, you're making my, my wheels turn. So it's, uh, um, it's again, difficult to narrow down to one thing, but, you know, I learned everything about the leaf, you know, and, you know, working with some of these amazing that I would say tobacco masters, you know, that I had read about and learned about in books. And, um, you know, here I was able to really, you know, soak up and, uh, learn a lot. And I was able to learn a lot from a lot of different, you know, uh, uh tobacco people and then sort of adapt and, and, you know, pieces here and there and kind of create my own style for, um, you know, certain things. So, um, man, I learned about teamwork, you know, Nicaragua itself. I mean, everybody just welcomed me in, you know, with open arms and, you know, it's different working in a foreign country than, you know, like you're, you're, I was down there and you're working, so you're off work, but you're still kind of always working in the sense that you're, you know, foreign or working in another country and you're a representative of of that that work um so man i learned you know i I got to put my international business degree in action you know and instead of it all being book i got to you know this is real life so you know in between almost 12 years we accomplished amazing things so amazing things
0: your time there, would you say your time there was pretty invaluable to what you've been able to put together since? Oh, it's a huge part of my
1: story, right? I mean, that's, this is, this is my story. Um, you know, that's what we were saying before. It's the time you spend. Um, I moved my life down to, you know, guys ask a lot of times I want to learn about blending. I want to learn about tobacco. You know, the, the, there is only one way and that's, you know, working with it day in and day out and, developing understanding of it um, and i've been fortunate to have those opportunities
0: so let's let's talk about the moment that you decided to leave go out on your own and start your own company do you remember that moment where you thought this is it this is the time i have to do it right now can you kind of walk me through it that was, journey and it what was that looked a, like
1: it was it took it took me years man it took me like 2 years to make that decision because you know, especially the team that, you know, we had all built together in, in Nicaragua running that factory. It's, you know, they're still the team that runs that factory. So, it's, uh, we went through, you know, weekends, nights, you know, till three in the morning trying to make shipments out, you know, w- weddings, funerals, and everything in between. And that was the most difficult part for me because... They, they became family, and that, that, was, that was the most difficult part for me was leaving, leaving the team. But I knew if I didn't leave, then I would question it, and I knew this FDA stuff was coming. And if I didn't move when I did, you know, it, I probably wouldn't have even started a company. You know, it just would have been – it would have been, you know, the, the risk level – went up um you know as they set certain dates and whatnot so i kind of got right. got in right at the right time so hopefully you know they so
0: so let's talk about foundation you're the company you created the company you started let's talk about that let's talk about i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna slaughter this i know i'm gonna slaughter this but i'm gonna try not to uh l win say
1: yeah so Wait, I decided to name a cigar nobody could pronounce. That, that would <laughs> tell you how crazy <laughs> I am. Um, no, not... Cr- w- yeah, so the G-U in Wense is actually like a W. So it's, it's way, like which way are you going and when. Like when are you coming back? Way Wednesday. Way Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, all right. This word, you know, from when I moved to Nicaragua, this imagery was every it was was always imagery you would see everywhere you know restaurants graffiti on the wall um you know and I, I started to learn more and more about it um and especially you know as I started to uh develop my own blend and brand I knew the first blend I wanted to do was an all Nicaraguan blend I'd never done a blend that was all Nicaraguan filler binder wrapper Um, You know, wrapper in Nicaragua is more difficult because of the sun exposure, because of the soil. Um, It's very necessary to grow um, under shaded tents. And a lot of people hadn't been doing that. Um, So I knew um, working with Aganorsa Tobacco, who I had known for for a long time, had grown and grows some of the best, you know, Nicaraguan wrapper um, in my opinion. So I knew this is, this is what I wanted to do to show, you know, connoisseurs and cigar lovers. This is my experience. You know, this is where I'm, this is where I'm coming from as this has been my experience for almost 12 years has been Nicaragua. And, uh,
0: so how, like when you were doing it, like it's cause I mean, listening to you, it's obvious you have a passion for Nicaragua. You have a passion for the tobacco that they produce. So when you were making this cigar, when you were blending it, you were going through the blends and trying to nail down what it was you wanted it to taste like. Like how many blends did you go through to nail it down and be like, "This is it. This is this is what I want foundation to 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 taste like."
1: Man, I had the opportunity to work with Arsenio Ramos. Uh, God rest his soul. He was down, he was just this tobacco man from Cuba that I had known since I, you know, first went down to Nicaragua in 03. And, um, this is just, he reminded me of my the Cuban version of my grandfather on my mom's side. And, um, you know, I worked with, with him and Dion from Elusione was just, you know, just we, we developed a friendship years ago. Um, I think 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of time working together on a project called the Sotros that, um, is, is no longer in the market, but, uh, that he did with, um, Jonathan and true estate. And we spent a lot of time. So we developed a, a friendship and, um, so he was down there and it just, uh, you know, we all started playing around, man. And, uh, you know, making some blends and reviewing tobacco. And, you know, what we love to do is open up bales of tobacco. And, you know, those guys really opened, opened their vaults to, to some of the, the, the really good leaf and good wrapper. And, um, you know, it took a little time. I worked on it for a good, um, y- you know, year, um, just cause I was taking my time with it. And, um, you know, set the timeline and and knew I wanted to launch at the trade show that year in 2015. And um, yeah, and then my artist and a good friend of mine, uh, he goes by the name Thief Operandi from Lee a friend of mine from from a long time, uh, hired him to be the art director, and we just started working on the branding. And it was exciting, and it is exciting because I never worked on the branding side, so it was awesome to be able to express and complement a blend with uh, branding that I loved. And there was nothing more important to me than, you know, the imagery of way Wednesday. And this, this, this dance has been going on in the South of Nicaragua. It is the statue of Liberty for the Nicaraguan people. If they look at the way it's like us looking at the statue of Liberty as, as, as far as a cultural identity. And every Nicaraguan knows this imagery and, you know, the word we're say It's it, every Nicaragua, It doesn't matter, you know, political affiliation, religious, it's, it's uniquely Nicaraguan and it's actually protected by the world heritage uh, UNESCO. You know, they protect the great pyramids of Giza. And this is, this is, I never knew, you know, I never heard the word and most people have it, but I felt it was important to do this project, it was for Nicaraguans, you know, it was for Nicaragua to, to really have a cigar and for people to see what Wednesday in the market, you know, it was, it was for that. And, um, I couldn't think of anything else that, that really portrayed everything Nicaragua is about.
0: So your journey, like from when you started to where you're at, seems very personal and you bring elements of that to what you do. I mean that I think that goes for like Charter Oak as well and and even um like uh so why Tabernacle then and why uh Menelik? why those because like I get I get Charter Oak you're from Connecticut that's a Connecticut thing I I get uh uh Wednesday because you have a passion for Nicaragua so so why why these two
1: okay so so on a simple like just in my mind, how it's working, you know, my humidor, I remember my diamond crown humidor, you know, that was my tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle is the transportation of a holy, this was the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that was the word, the tabernacle rested in, uh, I'm sorry, the Ark of the Covenant rested Rested in the in the tabernacle. Absolutely. So, you know, a box to me, again, this is, you know it's a modern day ceremony really that we're taking place and to me this leaf has always been honored as something something sacred um so that's kind of where i was going i love the name of the tabernacle um broadleaf to me you know it's a very special special leaf in my whole story and one of my favorite leaves so that's kind of kind of where I was going with that.
0: I like it. I, I like. I think that's absolutely fantastic because it is the ritual to smoking cigars is can be very religious in a sense.
1: So there is a book called "The History of the New World," Historia del Nuevo Nuevo Mundo. Right. It was written by this gentleman called uh, Girolamo Benzoni. He was an Italian ma- map maker. And in 1550s, he traveled to the New World. So this book, you know, I was travel, I backpacked around the world and traveled. And this is, uh, you know, 1550s reading like a journal of a guy backpacking virtually from Milan to Hispaniola, and just observing what's going on. And he travels through Nicaragua, and he observes tobacco. And he observes the leaf and and talks about it in this journal. And he mentions there's only two people that smoke it. The indigenous that were in Nicaragua and the Ethiopians that the Spaniards had brought from Africa. Which to me was the connect um, with the tabernacle because the Ethiopians claimed to possess the Ark of the Covenant. So what you see on that that box is... um, the last emperor of Ethiopia, um, Haile Selassie, and I thought I, I just love that imagery. Um, I've just always that was when he was crowned king in 1930, and that imagery just always yeah. That was that the, the that one the 142 is from an earlier um, 1924 when he was Prince Regent um, of the country.
0: So, but it's the same. It's the same gentleman.
1: Same gentleman, yeah, highly select. Celi- so growing up, I always knew about Ethiopia was nothing but starvation. It was we are right. the world, like that's yep. what we. That's what we kind of grew up knowing, and at the same time, I started smoking cigars. I really started diving into, you know, macanudos were being made in Kingston, Jamaica, and I just started falling in love with with reggae music, like old school reggae. Music music, call it Roots, from late um, 60s in Jamaica, early 70s. Can you hear me on it? Yes. Oh, sorry, you froze up. Um, so, so, yeah, so I just fell in love with, um, you know, at the same time I was falling in love with cigars and tobacco, I was falling in love with just Jamaican music, and um, I started reading about, you know, Ethiopia, and... You know, it turns out before 1974, the communists took over in 1974. And before 1974, there is 3,000 years of untouched kings and queens that go back to the time of Solomon and Sheba. So the story of the Ark of the Covenant is very – is an integral part of the uh, Ethiopian culture. And they actually claim to possess this – this tabernacle this uh, this ark of the covenant so i love history i love culture and this story for me kind of envelops everything because when i looked into it we all come from like this this the history of the world sort of begins and they found the bones of you know the first humans from this area the religious texts talk about it. And they've actually now traced through everybody's mitochondrial DNA. So everybody's mother's DNA. If they go back to any tribe, any, you know, uh, background, any European, any it all co- is traced down to one female that comes from this area of the world.
0: Wow. Yeah. Have you thought about doing a history podcast? You know, I, I would love to do one
1: on on like Ethiopia and Ethiopian – history because I, I it's such an it's so fascinating to me that this is um, it's sort of like a quest for me that you know we've known just about starvation and this is the thing that I grew up only knowing and that there's 3,000 years of history that's just unknown I mean I don't know if you saw I just started posting it on my my Instagram and what whatnot but they just uh, in Netherlands BBC announced it this guy had this crown that he um, smuggled out of Ethiopia in like the early nineties because the communists were destroying everything. The communists were destroying any remnants of the crown, any history. And so this crown that comes from, they think the 17th, 16th century was smuggled out in somebody's suitcase and they just announced because they felt wow. safe. Yeah. That it's uh I told That's you
0: I crazy. could go off in tangents. No, I like it. I, I think it's great because it gives us an insight into uh, in, like how you tick, what makes you tick, what makes you think, and and, and the the paths that you go through. So I, I dig it. I think it's part of your story, and, and I will let you go down whatever rabbit hole uh, you want to go down. Uh, so in regards to Into the Menelik, so uh, one of our members, Brent, Brandon Cook, wants to know, uh, on the old Menelik event, only cigar— the package says five uh, puros, and Half Wheel has the wrapper listed as uh, Nicaraguan Corojo Maduro. Uh, and with the release of the new one, it's listed as Mexican San Andreas. Is this information correct? And if it is correct, why, is, why, why the change, and do you feel like it changes the flavor profile? And if so, which one do you prefer?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure where that information came from. Someone, someone made me aware of this last week when I was actually on the road. It's always been San Andreas, Mexico. So um, I'm not sure where that information came. Some of the, the packs when it was in the, in, in the white five pack was the event only. A lot of those two had a lot of age on them. They're definitely more than a year old. Um, so again, when you when you when you age this blend, it's definitely going to tend to round out, you know. Um, so I don't know if that's where it's come, but I have to talk to uh, Charlie over at Half Wheel and double check that because I never I never caught that until is you're the second person bringing it up. So um, yes, yeah, it's just the same.
0: Same. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I want to talk about one of my new favorite cigars that I just discovered. Literally, last week, uh, the High Highclere Castle. Oh, man, do I love that cigar. Which
1: one? The um, Victorian, which is the red, uh, or the uh, Connecticut Shade?
0: No, the Connecticut Shade. What sets this cigar apart from your other lines?
1: Man, you know, I think people don't realize this project is still mind-blowing to me. I just got back from there a couple of weeks ago, because um, we just launched the Highclere Castle Gin at the castle and it, the gin is starting to ship um you know uh i think they're releasing uh based on different territories um but this is where the cigar kind of grew out of this gin project that's been in the works for the past four years um a good friend of mine is a moons moonshine distiller here in connecticut and we were introduced actually to another um great shop in connecticut called mickey blake's um, by A gentleman there, a friend of mine, Lou, who runs the shop, and he he just said, "You got to meet you got to meet my guy." This was like four or five years five years ago now, and um, I met uh, Adam von Gutkin, who uh, owned Onyx Moonshine here in Connecticut. Family, you know, was in the moonshine business since back from Prohibition days, and we just hit it off and. He um, had become friends, him and his wife, with uh, Lord and Lady Carnarvon that live at Highclere. And, you know, it's just been very organic. A lot of, you know, people don't realize it sometimes. I think they think it's almost like a gimmick or something. Um, (laughs) But the real story is um, really amazing. It blows my mind just how things work sometimes. Um, Anyway, you know, as he was talking to Lord Carnarvon one day, cigars came up. And Adam said, you got to meet my buddy Nick. You know, he lives in Nicaragua, he makes cigars, and my schedule was crazy. I couldn't, you know, leave Nicaragua at the time. Lord Carnarvon ends up flying down to Nicaragua with Adam, and I invited him down. And we just, you know, went through uh, everything, seed to cigar, and we really hit it off. And Lord Carnarvon is just um, an, an amazing human and uh, really down to earth. I mean, at this stage in my life, you know, money doesn't impress me. Things, you know, extravagant things don't impress me. I want to surround myself with good people. And, um, you know, you, you think you would have gotten a little bit of a highbrowness um, from him, and we just totally hit it off. And it felt like I've known him for some time. This is a gentleman who, you know, took a Greyhound bus around – you know, the Western part of the United States when he was 18 and, you know, just totally down to earth and the history of cigar smoking at Highclere, you know, it just sort of fit in. You see all my brands. It's like, okay, now this is, this is, this is living history. And um, I was well aware that his great grandfather had discovered King Tut's tomb uh, with Howard Carter and funded most of that trip. Don't tell anybody that. That's definitely a big reason why I did this project. So awesome. And uh, so I wanted to create, you know, our Rolls Royce. If you look at the, the portfolio of blends and the brands I really am creating is, you know, and again, that kind of goes back to your question at the beginning is what you learned at a cigar shop is this is my portfolio. I wanted to be able to have a portfolio that if the only thing you had in your shop was foundation and people start coming, you know, it's a Saturday and it's a busy Saturday, You got people coming in, you're going to be able to find a blend that's going to fit in different people's wheelhouses. And, you know, they're really going to fall in love with the cigars. So high clear, I wanted to make that, you know, elegant, you know, Rolls Royce, Connecticut shade. Um, And I knew, you know, working with, connecticut shade is interesting because it's it's such a thin tobacco you know the cellular structure the walls of the the leaf are not really thick the vein structure is not thick so i use one of my favorite binders on that cigar the modafina from brazil uh traveled a lot to brazil throughout the years in uh in the area of brazil called cruz de las almas which is um in a place called Salvador Bahia, Brazil, about two hours to the west. Amazing growing regions of tobacco. Um, The binder is more of a darker Maduro style, you know, leaf. So, you know, I always tell guys that Connecticut shade is that evening gown. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's elegant. But underneath that wrapper and that evening gown is a black Victoria lace, and it's holding out all the good stuff together <laughs> that enables you to, you know, use some filler leaves that are a little bit heavier so we can get, you know, a little bit more flavor in there without it being too mild um, or too aggressive.
0: You know, I, I, I dig it. It's one of my new favorite cigars. I, I, I'm going to get my hands on more of them. It's absolutely fantastic. If anybody hasn't tried it, uh, definitely do so as soon as you can. Uh, this question uh, about the Highclere Castle comes from uh, one of our members, LSU Piper, and he wants to know, uh, because there was a gin that was made, uh, you know, was it, was it meant to be paired with this cigar? And if so, uh, how much did that come into play while, during like, the blending process? So the cigar was,
1: um, the cigar, the, so the Connecticut Shade Edwardian, um, I call it, is, definitely goes with the gin. Um, it's a nice pairing um, with the gin, I'm just getting into gin. So my buddy Adam is really heading up that operation and he's, he's definitely an alcohol, um, more connoisseur than I am. So we're both learning, you know, tremendously from each other. Um, so, you know, the gin, I was actually sitting in on some of the final tastings for the blend. They're using uh, one of the oldest distillers in England, um, They're using fresh ingredients from the estate. High is five thousand acre estate, and an active, um, an active estate, Uh, amazing gardens. So they're using a lot of natural ingredients uh, from the estate, and um, I think the Connecticut shade goes really well with it. Um, I think is you got similar, you know, complements in in the styles of kind of body and strength there.
0: So this kind of brings us back, I guess, to palate and the subjective subjectiveness of all of it. And that kind of begs the question, what do you typically pair your cigars with?
1: Man, I, you know, people ask me this question. I mean, now if I'm out this Jefferson ocean, you know, right now with this, this blend with the Cuban seed uh, from Connecticut, some heavier, you know, Nicaraguan fillers is a really great pairing. Typically. You know, I am a huge you know coffee drinker. I love coffee, and you know, typically on my product on the production floor, you know, starting the day is you know coffee a lot of the times for me. Uh, I just think that complement of the coffee flavors and this just tobacco and you know general they they do a really good job. And if you can get some really good coffee,
0: what's your favorite coffee then? You know, I'm. I'm
1: kind of changing around. I have a couple of local places in Nicaragua, um, you know, which is interesting because nationally, a lot of coffee that's consumed is, is not great quality because a lot of it's exported. Um, but I have a couple of different, different brands down there. Um, recently I've been drinking, um, what was I drinking? It was actually Ethiopian Sidamo. um, that I was drinking. People don't realize coffee comes from Ethiopia too.
0: Let's get back. I mean, Ethiopia is the origin of everything. The I'll foundation. Bring
1: it, I'll, I'll, I'll bring every conversation <laughs> back to Ethiopia.
0: Either Ethiopia or Nicaragua. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so how many cigar lines does foundation have now?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to have to count through these. So I launched actually four years ago last month with what Wednesday. Um, so that's 1, Wise Man Maduro. That's 2, Tabernacle Broadleaf 3, Tabernacle 142 havana Seed Connecticut. 4, we got the Charter Oak Connecticut Shade. So that 5, Charter Oak Broadleaf. 6, uh High Clare Connecticut Shade. 7, High Clare Victorian, which is the new blend we just released. Uh, the Victorian has a Cuban seed, Habano, it's a Habano Ecuador, um, higher priming Habano Ecuador. Um, tobacco I've loved for a long time, never have come out with a blend to market with the Habano Ecuador. So that's, a, that's kind of a special, special blend for me. Um, so we have the Victorian and then we have my infused line, which is called the Upsetters.
0: Where where did the, uh, upsetters come from?
1: Upset the Nia shot and upsetters. Everybody likes a good upset, right? The upsetters is actually, um, based on a gentleman by the name of Lee scratch Perry. He was a producer in the sixties, um, and started a lot of what we know as like modern kind of, uh, dub music, um, Pretty much all the music today, like a lot of the dance music, electronic music, hip hop, kind of developed out of out of this this producer, and um, they called him. He one of his first solo songs when he went solo was called "I Am the Upsetter." So, at this time in the late '60s in Jamaica, they had become obsessed with spaghetti westerns, which people don't realize. So, spaghetti westerns. You know, being an Italian, you have a Spaghetti Western fan. You know, Jane, Django was a Spaghetti Western, which people don't realize before Tarantino, um, you kind of used different elements there. So a lot of the album art covers were um, all Spaghetti Western-type themes, and a lot of them went by, you know, that this gentleman produced were called The Good, The Bad, and The Upsetters
0: instead of the... Uh, instead of The Ugly. I like it.
1: So hence the imagery is of the, the actual logo of the brand is based on, you know, that, that lone kind of hero. He's, he's not really a hero. He's not too good. He's not bad. He's just doing his thing and kind of gets, you know, forced into, you know, stirring up trouble and uh, challenging the, the hierarchy kind of.
0: Uh, I dig it. I dig it. So out of all of these lines that you have, I'm going to put you on the spot, Nick. Which one is your favorite? Mm. <laughs> Are
1: you going, can you answer that? It's again, I jump around a lot. If I had to take one like right now, I'd probably go for, you know, Tabernacle uh, 142 Lancero. Um, All right. But then I, I could go Tabernacle Broadleaf <laughs> in a second, you know? Yeah. But if I had to choose right now, yeah, I'd
0: do that one. So does it depend on the time of day for you, on uh, which one you reach for? Yeah, sometimes, right? It depends on what kind of mood. I'll go, I'll go personally through some, like,
1: I'm always smoking, you know, for quality control, right? Sure, quality control. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a nut when it comes to quality control. You got you to gotta figure, you know, I was in charge of growing, you know, Quality control was you talk about stress, you know what I mean? You got, especially as you increase the number, you know, there's a difference between making 2000 cigars a day and a hundred thousand cigars a day. You know, if the error goes through, you get tobacco that's not sorted properly, that hits the production floor improperly. I mean, it's, people don't realize it, but the stress level is, um, you know, and I'm just adamant about, you know, everything being perfect constantly because you know it's a reflection of, of myself so um you know people ask me if I smoke other people's stuff a lot of times and a lot of times it's not that I don't want to but I'm just smoking so much of you know just testing to make sure everything's on point I'm a cigar smoker the last thing I want is somebody to have that experience of not you know drawing right the blend not being right like you know I take that definitely to heart because I know I know what it's like when that happens. And that's not what I'm, you know, I'm working for the opposite. So,
0: no, that's, a, and that's a, that, that's a good way to be. And I guess it kind of leads into the next question. This one is from uh, some, uh, one of our members' administrator. He asks, for a company of your size, what would you say are your main limitations and obstacles that you're working against in your plans for growth for foundation? Is it the tobacco, the factories, quality control, the FDA? Like, out FDA, of those, which man. one?
1: FDA. The FDA. Come on. yeah man i mean this the fda is the uh you know the, the other things we can all competition is good all that stuff is good to make you better you know when you deal with things like regulation and and things like that it's like i mean it just becomes potentially ridiculous because people are not using their rational minds it's like I, yeah, you know, no. business interest and all this just crazy stuff. So, again, you know, we're in the market. The, the way they have it is substantial equivalency. You know, right now, everything before Fe- February uh, February 15, 2007 is grandfathered in. Everything after 2007 to 2016, August, has to go currently under what we call substantial equivalency. So you have to show that you're – blends and brands are substantially equivalent to the grandfathered brands, which, you know, in itself doesn't make sense because there's no tobacco on the market that's being sold. That's 2007 tobacco. You know, it's the same, it's the same as, yeah. Um, But again, if, you know, if you entered the market after that, you know, you have a, a risk of your brands not continuing to stay on the market and People don't realize you know sometimes that these these past years have been different um under different circumstances. I might not have released as many brands in the same timeline um, that I did, but we had to get them in the market and and sold so
0: so let's talk about the fDA for a second because you brought it up, and I know that this is this this can be a weird subject, especially for guys in the industry but like you said, like it's, it's such a weird thing. Is foundation ready or are, are you guys ready as a company for it? Like for whatever they decide, I know that a lot of it, I, I I know there's pushback and I know organizations like the PCA and the, uh, CRA are, are doing their best to push back against it. But are you guys ready?
1: Yeah, we're ready as, as we can be, you know what I mean? Like we're ready. We've been doing, um, you know, I, my, my lawyer, um, is, a a small partner, you know, in my business. And, you know, I did that early on because he's got a great team and they're in direct contact with the FDA. And, um, you know, the, the the issue with this is lack of clarity, right? So that's how you start regulating without regulating and spending any money. You know, you put the dark cloud, the looming cloud and, um, you know, not much clarity to start to, you know, keep things from, growing and expanding um so you know up to this point yeah i mean we're ready but if you know they make some sort of egregious you know you know crazy (laughs) clarification it's
0: is the industry ready and what i mean by that is is whatever the fda decides in their infinite wisdom and i use that term (laughs) sarcastically are are countries like Nicaragua the Dominican Honduras are they ready
1: no i mean what, everybody's going to loo- you know lose job if you if it's as bad as you know it could be potentially and that it you know it diminishes business who's going to what other jobs are going to fulfill you know Nicaraguan jobs in the north of Nicaragua where you got tens of tens of thousands of people employed people are going to go to the border and try to get into the United States. This is part of the whole, people need jobs. You know what I mean? Most of our jobs started going to China in 71 when Nixon started making deals with China. So now you got all of Caribbean and Central America and nobody's got jobs. It's the same thing with happening in the cities throughout the United States. So what do you expect people to do? You know, it, they're, they're gonna wanna come north. So you, you not only potentially have Damage to small business in the United States, but whole economies in the Caribbean, Central America that then have, you know, different effects. So you hope somebody in the government, and especially when they look at the numbers, cigar smoking is not a pandemic. Cigar (laughs) smoking is not a public health threat to children. But the problem is, is there is no separation. I mean, more than ever today, there is if you go back 10 years ago, it was less, that there is a difference between machine-made, mechanized cigars, vape, and all that other stuff, and handmade cigars. And that's still not clearly defined, You know, especially amongst anti-tobacco people. They don't understand it. And the larger companies are not doing a good job, or do they want that to be distinguished and clarified?
0: Because it would work in their favor, wouldn't it? The bigger companies, it because it would shut down or at least uh, seriously curtail what smaller companies are able to do, so it takes away a lot of their competition, yeah. Just
1: through you know, sheer the paperwork and the compliance um, stuff, but you know, you got to remember a lot of these companies have machine made products and then they have premium products, you know what I mean? And the premium products, they're a tiny fraction of the machine-made business, you know? So they're trying to protect that business. And I understand that. I don't want them, you know, I don't want to regulate. I'm not for the, you know, regulations in in general. Um, But at the same time, you know, they can't, you know, tie us around the same, you know, put us in the same boat and bring us down, you know, in that direction because it's just such a different business. And the compliance is, you know, is, is so different compared to, you know, you're talking laboratories that you need, you know, for these products. This is not, we don't yeah. make these in laboratories, you know?
0: No. And it's an art, isn't it? How Like, this is a, this is an art form. Roll Like premium hand roll cigars is an art form, just like the art on a box. The, you mentioned that earlier. That's an art. And some of these proposals, some of these regulations that they want to roll out are are it, if it's art, shouldn't it be protected?
1: I mean, there's no there's no case for it. Right. Because 2009, they started coming out with the case. The FDA has seen an increased consumption of cigar smoking amongst youth. That's when the first <laughs> article started coming out. And but it's true. Right. It's true if you're looking at. The segment of convenience stores and gas stations, that market segment has grown significantly, and the legalization well, sure, of cannabis sure.
0: Yeah. Exa- I was just going to say, that's, that's the reason for that growth. I mean, these guys aren't doing what I did, which was go buy a Dutch master's when my, my best friend had his kid when I was 20. and I was like, "Ah, Dutch master, I'll go get one of these and we'll smoke this." I, that's not what they're doing. They're taking it and they're filling it with, with, with weed. For the most part, yeah.
1: I mean, and so many more people are, you know, comfortable and smoking weed because it's becoming decriminalized. And so that market segment has just gone through the roof. And so, you know, when you see people that don't smoke cigars and they look at it from the outside and then they go into and they see bubble gum, grape you know all of this stuff in these gas stations and convenience stores and now you're blurring the lines by having premium cigars in some of the humidors you know the gas stations and you know that just kind of confuses and muddles the matter even more um but you know that's always the case is how do you expand your market share always and they're always looking to expand you know larger companies into the bigger distribution channels, which are you know convenience stores and gas stations and things of this nature,
0: the irony of legalizing weed while trying to push out tobacco, is not lost on me. But it seems to be lost on a lot of these po- politicians and bureaucrats. Yeah, there's nothing advantageous for them to mention tobacco, right? Because
1: you know, even so, it almost has to be done behind the scenes in a sense because you know, a politician these days, it's, it's, it's theater, you know, we're dealing with, you know, a lot of it is just just theater and there's nothing on that theater, you know, that gets them any points when they mention the word, um, you know, tobacco. So it's just, you know, they're going to spend all this time regulating, you know, trying to come up with all this, these paperworks and regulations and testing and this and that, but all the money that they're going to need to spend, spend is not going to, you know, it's not touching the problem um, exactly at all. And you're just going to hurt business. I mean, that's all, you
0: know. Right. And you're not just going to hurt business in the United States, but like we talked about, you're going to hurt business uh, uh, around the world. And I feel like that's very short-sighted, extremely short-sighted. Yeah. That's why I think up to this point, it hasn't, you know, not gone
1: it hasn't gone through, but,
0: you know. Right. But the threat is. Looming.
1: It's always there.
0: What can we, as the common man, the cigar, the common cigar smoker do to help push back against that sort of regulation?
1: I think just really understanding, you know, the different industries and, you know, between the machine made market and the cigar market, um, you know, be educated on, on that to sort of, you know, explain to people, of course, calling your local, um, you know, uh, politicians, I think doesn't hurt and, you know, really educating, you have a immigration issue. Okay. Well here you are going to cause the, you know, more of the issue here. I mean, that's a huge one and, you know, there's no threat here. I mean, it's just, we're the last beacon of hope here in the world. (laughs) Um, you know, before this, you know, complete nanny state goes in is like we you know it definitely helps i mean it definitely helps if if you guys make the call and just educate people and just be you know kind of savvy of uh you know explaining to people
0: so i kind of want this is kind of in the same vein but our illustrious leader the big boss man one world asks so he watched the documentary hand rolled uh and he didn't quite understand what the filmmaker's intent was and to be honest neither did i uh since you were interviewed for this documentary as well was it meant to advocate against the FDA in, uh impending regulations or was it meant to advocate against purchasing cuban cigars cuz it kind of seemed to do both there w- like cuban cigars were not portrayed in a very um positive light during that documentary so i know you you weren't the filmmaker but you were you were you were interviewed for it
1: yeah, they they. Um, I actually met those guys in Nicaragua um, years ago when I was in a coffee shop, and um, I didn't have cigars. They didn't have cigars, but they were sitting right next to me. Cigars weren't even mentioned, but I we somehow struck up a conversation, and then they started telling me what they were working on, and um, I I thought that they were trying to really show that story, you know, almost the hero story of you know, what happened when Castro took over and that a lot of these master cigar makers fled Cuba and, you know, developed, um, you know, lost everything under, uh, you know, the communist regime and had to start over again with not much and then look for, you know, imagine they still were in their love for tobacco and cigars so much that they continued to you know, look for places to rebuild and a lot of them had nothing. So I thought that was a, a real important story. Um, so I thought that was kind of the point there. Right. And then I thought it was definitely to show sort of this difference between, um, I I think you remember in the documentary, they show one of the ads from tobacco free kids from California where all the kids are sitting around the table and they got, you know, different blunt products and they're all smelling them and saying, oh, this smells just like bubblegum. Oh, this right. smells like, you know, I, and, you know, I think one of my lines in the, in the the movie was everybody knows kids are not smoking premium handmade cigars. They're smoking 99 cent blunts, baby. I think they were trying to show that there. And again, I think regardless of the, you know, critiquing the movie, I have my own critiques of the movie and, and what's going on, I think as an industry, I think it's important, um, this is the best piece that we have that could educate non-smokers. You know, and I think that was the intent was to try to get it from a non-smoking, non-smokers position. You know, they missed a lot. Honduras isn't in there. You could put Connecticut in there. I think the hope was to use it as a platform to expand this, hopefully get it on Netflix and get it exposed to... You know, you got Psalm on Netflix about wine, you got beer documentaries, we need desperately, you know, again, whether you love it or hate it, as an industry and cigar smokers, if we want this to continue and not just get worse, I think it's important, just, you know, the movie is really important in that aspect, because the quality of it, um, you know, and the message is just really important, um, you know, as a as a whole for the industry.
0: In one of my uh, previous episodes, I I talked to a Cuban cigar uh, expert and we discussed what would happen if Cuba, if the communist regime fell or if suddenly Cuba became uh, a free market. Would you would would you want Cuban tobacco in your product if that were to happen? I listen. I haven't
1: I haven't had much experience with Cuban tobacco and it's uh, we say tobacco Rama and it's, you know, um, in its leaf form um, very little. And, you know, of course I'm, I'm a lover of tobacco. So, uh, you know, I would love to work with it. I, I haven't had much experience with it. Um, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, the demand for it is going to be too great that uh, you're not going to have tobacco on the market. You, maybe you will, I mean, maybe you guys will get creative as things go on and the market kind of opens up and, you know, um, but again, it all depends on the FDA stuff, because I don't know if that you're going to be able to, right. you know, or if they're even going to be able to enter the market, because based on, they haven't been in the market since, what, 59?
0: Right, exactly.
1: I don't know if they're, you know, based on how it stands, if they'd even be able to be sold um, without going through, I don't know. I don't know. To you, I don't know what would come of that as far as regulation, but- um, as a tobacco man, lover, um, I would, you know, love to work with Cuban tobacco.
0: A couple final final questions here, I promise, and then we'll open it up to everybody else. So, like, you've been in the industry now, like, in around cigars, like, most of your life, and you've been in the industry, what, 16 years, I think we were talking about before we started to record?
1: Yeah, in 96,
0: I started on
1: the, the cigar. 2003, I moved to Nicaragua. Yeah, so 16 so, years
0: where do you see foundation? Where do you see your company in 20 years? 20 years, man. I, I hope we're just like, you know, really just
1: being true to, you know, the blends and the brands that we've created. And, you know, we're just making amazing cigars, you know, as long as, as long as I'm around, I mean, it just, it's going to go down that way. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to develop the company in a way where I can have a little personal life of my own because you know I'm not married. I don't have kids. This is, you know, this is my life. Like I said before, this is going to be my first weekend I've had in a couple of weekends. And, um, you know, social media kind of says one thing, but man, behind the scenes, it's, you know, it's not, it's been nonstop. We're a small company. So um, I've been fortunate now to bring on you know some some team teammates that have you know really been helping me tremendously. My brother came on board um, you know a couple years ago and has just been you know saved my life and uh, has been amazing and I got some great guys in the office and yeah I just want to build a really good team and just continue you know it hasn't gotten old for me yet. So I still walk into, you know, humidors. I love, you know, walking into a humidor, being around cigars. I love walking into tobacco barns and, um, yeah, just keep, keep making good cigars, man.
0: So where do you see the industry in 20 years? That's a
1: great question.
0: It could go so many, um,
1: it could either go really good or be really,
0: (laughs) really, really
1: bad. Yeah. That's kind of how that business is right now. Um, so, um, I'm hoping we're able to, you know, really beat this in a way that's not, um, you know, ridiculous and just, you know, 30% warnings to, you know, more people die from peanut allergies every year. It's, I don't think, you know, I don't see 30% warning stickers on, you know. on peanuts. Right. Yeah. That's I think a- what, I think what might help us is that they haven't gotten the cigarette companies yet as far as the warning packs so like you go everybody everywhere else, like you go to Canada, it's insanity, you know? Right. It's like Photoshop, just like mutilated craziness and all the packs. So I don't think the cigarette companies want to go there. So I think we might be on, all on the same team there as far as fighting that. So that kills me out of everything like that, even though like all the cost of you know, testing or everything out. The fact that they would, you know, just the, I love those boxes, man. Without that, it's a minor thing, but it's really a big thing. For me. But
0: it's really a big thing. Right. Cause I don't think, I mean, just talking to you, a lot of this art isn't just marketing. It's not a gimmick. It's personal to you. It tells a story. It tells a story of the cigar. It tells a story of Ethiopia, it tells a story of Nicaragua. So that's, that's you Atticate. like that. Right, Connecticut. Like it's all over. So yeah, I think it's I think it's very personal. I do feel like it's art and, and you're kind of suppressing some free speech there. Last question, I promise. And this one comes uh from uh world famous Brett. One of Brent, one of our uh, uh one of our members asks to most of us, you have our dream job. However, sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. Is there any job that you would trade what you're doing now for? to do that what what would it be
1: i would say like an archaeologist or something like that i think i would i would
0: like indiana I'm jones like, style or like, like
1: indiana jones <laughs> okay indiana jones <laughs> okay yeah. that's a maybe that's a good, yeah maybe. no that's but a i good. have to be i'd have to have access to be you know i'd have a pipe and a cigar doing that so i'd be
0: bullwhip gun cigar pipe and the hat yeah yeah, I'd do it too. That's, that's a Maybe one.
1: I could do that, yeah.
0: <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. This is going to end the podcast portion uh, of it, but Nick, thank you so much. Uh, absolutely a pleasure to pick your brain, kind of get to know you and your journey a little bit. Go try Foundation Cigars if you haven't. Is there anything new coming out or that you really want to uh, have our listeners go try?
1: Man, you know, High Clear Castle Victorian just hit the markets. So we're actually got um, a, our second shipment kind of on on route actually um, for to, uh, Monday. So it's leaving Nicaragua. So um, a lot of people have been kind of back ordered on those. So definitely, you know, those that the Lancero Havana Seed uh, 142, those. Um, yeah, that cigar is just unbelievable in that Lancero size because you really get that Connecticut Cuban seed wrapper. Um, and, you know, the Menelik, it's, uh, we're pretty much totally sold out across the board. I'm hoping to have, you know, some maybe before the holiday times. But, um, you know, if you haven't tried those, definitely, definitely seek them out.
0: Well, I can promise you a box of High Highclere Castle will be in my one of my humidors very soon. I promise. Nick. Thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, Stick around, and we're going to open this up to uh, the members of simplystogies.club. If you'd like to become a member of simplystogies.club, you can reach out to myself uh, via the email info at simplystogies.com or reach out uh, via Instagram, simplystogiespodcast or simplystogies. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies.